Chapter Fifteen of the Ivory Child by H. Rider Haggard. This Slipperbox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen, The Dweller in the Cave. After this, it seemed to me that I dreamed a long and very troubled dream concerning all sorts of curious things which I cannot remember. At last, I opened my eyes and observed that I lay on a low bed raised about three inches above the floor in an eastern-looking room, large and cool. It had window-places in it, but no windows, only grass mats hung upon a rod which, I noted inconsequently, worked on a rough wooden hinge, or rather pin, that enabled the curtain to be turned back against the wall. Through one of these window-places I saw at a little distance the slope of the forest-covered hill, which reminded me of something to do with a child, for the life of me I could not remember what. As I lay wondering over the matter I heard a shuffling step which I recognised, and turning saw Hans twiddling a new hat made of straw in his fingers. Hans, I said, where did you get that new hat? They gave it me here, boss, he answered. The boss will remember that the devil Jonna ate the other. Then I did remember, more or less, while Hans continued to twiddle the hat. I begged him to put it on his head because it fidgeted me, and then inquired where we were. "'In the town of the child, Bass, where they carried you after you had seemed to die down yonder. "'A very nice town, where there is plenty to eat, "'though having been asleep for three days you have had nothing except a little milk and soup, "'which was poured down your throat with a spoon whenever you seemed to half-wake for a while. "'I was tired and wanted a long rest, Hans, and now I feel hungry. "'Tell me, are the Lord and Bina here also, or were they killed after all?' "'Yes, boss, they are safe enough, and so are all our goods. "'They were both with Harut when he saved us down by the village yonder, "'but you went to sleep and did not see them. "'They have been nursing you ever since, boss.' "'Just then Savage himself entered, carrying some soup upon a wooden tray, "'and looking almost as smart as he used to do at Ragnall Castle. "'Good day, sir,' he said in his best professional manner. "'Very glad to see you back with us, sir.' and getting well, I trust, especially after we had given you and Mr. Hans up as dead. I thanked him and drank the soup, asking him to cook me something more substantial, as I was starving, which he departed to do. Then I sent Hans to find Lord Ragnall, who, it appeared, was out walking in the town. No sooner had they gone than Harut entered, looking more dignified than ever, and bowing gravely, seated himself upon the mat in the eastern fashion. "'Some strong spirit must go with you, Lord Macumazahan,' he said, "'that you should live to-day after we were sure that you had been slain.' "'That's where you made a mistake. "'Your magic was not of much service to you there, friend Harut. "'Yet my magic, as you call it, though I have none, "'was of some service after all, Macumazahan, "'as it chanced I had no opportunity of breathing in the wisdom of the child "'for two days from the hour of our arrival here.' because I was hurt on the knee in the fight, and so weary that I could not travel up the mountain and seek light from the eyes of the child. On the third day, however, I went, and the oracle told me all. Then I descended swiftly, gathered men, and reached those fools in time to keep you from harm. They have paid for what they did, Lord. I am sorry, Harut, for they knew no better, and Harut, though I saved myself, or rather Hans saved me, we have left your brother behind and with him the others. I know. Jonna was too strong for them. You and your servant alone could prevail against him. Not so, Harut. He prevailed against us. 
all we could do was injure his eye and the tip of his trunk and escape from him which is more than any others have done for many generations lord but doubtless as the beginning was so shall the end be jana i think is near his death and through you i don't know i repeated who and what is jana have i not told you that he is an evil spirit who inhabits the body of a huge elephant yes and so did marut but i think that he is just a huge elephant with a very bad temper of his own still whatever he is he will take some killing and i don't want to meet him again by that horrible lake then you will meet him elsewhere lord for if you do not go to look for jonah jonah will come to look for you who have hurt him so sorely remember that henceforth wherever you go in this land it may happen that you will meet jonah do you mean to say that the brute comes into the territory of the white kendah yes macumazahan at times he comes or spirit wearing his shape comes i know not which what i do know is that twice in my life i myself have seen him upon the holy mount though how he came or how he went none can tell why was he wandering there harut who can say lord tell me why evil wanders through the world and i will answer your question only i repeat let those who have harmed jana beware of jana and let jana beware of me if i can meet him with a decent gun in my hand for i have a score to settle with that beast now harut here is another matter just before he was killed marut your brother began to tell me something about the wife of the lord ragnall i had no time to listen to the end of his words though i thought he said she was upon yonder holy mount did i hear aright instantly harut's face became like that of a stone idol impenetrable impassive either you misunderstand lord he answered or my brother raved in his fear wherever she may be that beautiful lady is not upon the holy mount unless there is another holy mount in the land of death moreover lord as we were speaking of this matter let me tell you the forest upon that mount must be trodden by none save the priest of the child if others set foot there they die for is watched by a guardian more terrible even than jana nor is he the holy one ask me nothing of that guardian for i will not answer and above all if you or your comrades value life let them not seek to look upon him understanding that it was quite useless to pursue this subject farther at the moment i turned to another remarking that the hailstorm which had smitten the country of the black kendah was the worst that i had ever experienced yes answered harut so i have learned that was the first of the curses which the child through my mouth promised to simba and his people if they molested us upon our road the second you will remember was famine which for them is near at hand seeing that they have little corn in store and none left to gather and that most of their cattle are dead of the hail. If they have no corn while, as I noted, you have plenty which the storm spared, will not they, who are many in number and near to starving, attack you and take your corn, Harut? Certainly they will do so, Lord, and then will fall the third curse, the curse of war. All this was foreseen long ago, Mahumazahan, and you are here to help us in that war among your goods you have many guns and much powder and lead 
you shall teach our people how to use those guns, that with them we may destroy the Black Genda. I think not, I replied quietly. I came here to kill a certain elephant, and to receive payment for my service in ivory, not to fight the Black Kenda, of whom I have already seen enough. Moreover, the guns are not my property, but that of Lord Ragnall, who perhaps will ask his own price for the use of them. And the Lord Ragnall, who came here against our will, is, as it chances, our property, and we may ask your own price for his life. Now, farewell for a while, since you who are still sick and weak have talked enough. Only before I go, as your friend and that of those with you, I will add one word. If you would continue to look upon the sun, let none of you try to set foot in the forest upon the holy mount. Wander where you will upon its southern slopes, but strive not to pass the wall of rock which rings the forest round. Then he rose, bowed gravely, and departed, leaving me full of reflections. Shortly afterwards Savage and Hans returned, bringing me some meat which the former had cooked in an admirable fashion. I ate of it heartily, and just as they were carrying off the remains of the meal, Ragnall himself arrived. Our greeting was very warm, as might be expected in the case of two comrades who never thought to speak to each other again on this side of the grave. As I had supposed, he was certain that Hans and I had been cut off and killed by the Black Kenda, as, after we were missed, some of the camelmen asserted that they had actually seen us fall. So he went on, or rather was carried on by the rush of the camels, grieving, since, it being impossible to attempt to recover our bodies or even to return, that was the only thing to do, and in due course reached the town of the child without further accident. Here they rested and mourned us, till some days later Harut suddenly announced that we still lived, though how he knew this they could not ascertain. Then they sallied out and found us, as has been told, in great danger from the ignorant villagers who, until we appeared, had not even heard of our existence. I asked what they had done, and what information they had obtained since their arrival at this place. His answer was, nothing, and none worth mentioning. The town appeared to be a small one of not much over two thousand inhabitants, all of whom were engaged in agricultural pursuits and in camel breeding. The herds of camels, however, they gathered, for the most part were kept at outlying settlements on the farther side of the cone-shaped mountain. As they were unable to talk the language, the only person from whom they could gain knowledge was Harut, who spoke to them in his broken English, and told them much what he had told me namely that the upper mountain was a sacred place that might only be visited by the priests since any uninitiated person who set foot there came to a bad end they had not seen any of these priests in the town where no form of worship appeared to be practised but they had observed men driving small numbers of sheep or goats up the flanks of the mountain towards the forest of what went on upon this mountain and who lived there they remained in complete ignorance it was a case of stalemate. Harut would not tell them anything, nor could they learn anything for themselves. He added, in a depressed way, that the whole business seemed very hopeless, and that he had begun to doubt whether there was any tidings of his lost wife to be gained among the Kenda, white or black. Now I repeated to him Harut's dying words, of which, most unhappily, I had never heard the end. These seemed to give him new life, since they showed that tidings there was of some sort, if only it could be extracted. But how might this be done? 
How? How? For a whole week things went on thus. During this time I recovered my strength completely, except in one particular which reduced me to helplessness. The place on my thigh where Jana had pinched out a bit of skin healed up well enough, but the inflammation struck inwards to the nerve of my left leg, where once I had been injured by a lion, with the result that whenever I tried to move I was tortured by pains of a sciatic nature. So I was obliged to lie still and to content myself with being carried on the bed into a little garden which surrounded the mud-built and whitewashed house that had been allotted to us as a dwelling-place. There I lay hour after hour, staring at the holy mount which began to spring from the plain within a few hundred yards of the scattered township. For a mile or so its slopes were bare except for grass on which sheep and goats were grazed, and a few scattered trees. Studying the place through glasses, I observed that these slopes were crowned by a vertical precipice of what looked like lava rock, which seemed to surround the whole mountain, and must have been quite a hundred feet high. Beyond this precipice, which to all appearances was of an unclimbable nature, began a dense forest of large trees, cedars, I thought, clothing it to the very top. This is so far as I could see. One day, when I was considering the place, a root entered the garden suddenly and caught me in the act. "'The house of the god is beautiful,' he said. "'Is it not?' "'Very,' I answered, "'and of a strange formation. But how do those who dwell on it climb that precipice?' "'It cannot be climbed,' he answered. "'But there is a road which I am about to travel who go to worship the child.' Yet I have told you, Macumazahan, that any strangers who seek to walk that road find death. If they do not believe me, let them try, he added meaningly. Then, after many inquiries about my health, he informed me that news had reached him to the effect that the Black Kendah were mad at the loss of their crops, which the hail had destroyed, and because of the near prospect of starvation. Then soon they will be wishing to reap yours with spears, I said. That is so. Therefore, my lord Macumazahan, get well quickly that you may be able to scare away these crows with guns, for in fourteen days the harvest should begin upon our uplands. Farewell, and have no fears, for during my absence my people will feed and watch you, and on the third night I shall return again. After Harut's departure a deep depression fell upon all of us. Even Hans was depressed, while Savage became like a man under sentence of execution at a near but uncertain date. I tried to cheer him up, and asked him what was the matter. "'I don't know, Mr. Quatermain,' he answered. "'But the fact is, this is an eightful and an only ole. In his agitation he quite lost the grip of his H's, which was always weak. "'And I am sure that it is the last I shall ever see, except one.' "'Well, Savage,' I said jokingly, at any rate, there don't seem to be any snakes here. No, Mr. Quatermain, that is, I haven't met any, but they crawl about me all night, and whenever I see that prophet man he talks of them to me. Yes, he talks of them, and nothing else with a sort of cold look in his eyes that makes my back creep. I wish it was over, I do. We shall never see old England again and he went away, I think to hide his very painful and evident emotion. 
That evening Hans returned from an expedition on which I had sent him, with instructions to try to get round the mountain, and report what was on the other side. It had been a complete failure, as after he had gone a few miles men appeared who ordered him back. They were so threatening in their demeanour, that had it not been for the little rifle in Tombi, which he carried under pretence of shooting Buck, a weapon that they regarded with great awe, they would, he thought, have killed him. He added that he had been quite unsuccessful in his efforts to collect any news of value from man, woman, or child, all of whom, although very polite, appeared to have orders to tell him nothing, concluding with the remark that he considered the white kender bigger devils than the black kender, inasmuch as they were more clever. Shortly after this abortive attempt, we debated our position with earnestness, and came to a certain conclusion, of which I will speak in its place. If I remember right, it was on this same night of our debate, after Harut's return from the mountain, that the first incident of interest happened. There were two rooms in our house, divided by a partition, which ran almost up to the roof. In the left-hand room slept Ragnall and Savage, and in that to the right Hans and I. Just at the breaking of dawn I was awakened by hearing some agitated conversation between Savage and his master. A minute later they both entered my sleeping-place, and I saw in the faint light that Ragnall looked very disturbed and Savage very frightened. "'What's the matter?' I asked. "'We have seen my wife,' answered Ragnall. I stared at him, and he went on. Savage woke me by saying that there was someone in the room. I sat up and looked, and as I live, Quatermain, standing gazing at me in such a position that the light of dawn from the window-place fell upon her, was my wife. "'How was she dressed?' I asked at once. "'In a kind of white robe cut rather low, with her hair loose, hanging to her waist, but carefully combed, and held outspread by what appeared to be a bent piece of ivory about a foot and a half long, to which it was fastened by a thread of gold. Is that all? No. Upon her breast was that necklace of red stones with a little image hanging from its centre, which those rascals gave her and she always wore. Anything more? Yes. In her arms she carried what looked like a veiled child. It was so still that I think it must have been dead. Well, what happened? I was so overcome I could not speak, and she stood gazing at me with wide-opened eyes, looking more beautiful than I can tell you. She never stirred, and her lips never moved. That I will swear. And yet both of us heard her say, very low, but quite clearly, The mountain, George, don't desert me. Seek me on the mountain, my dear, my husband. Well, what next? I sprang up, and she was gone. That's all. Now tell me what you saw and heard, Savage. What his lordship saw and heard, Mr. Quatermain, neither more nor less, except that I was awake, having had one of my bad dreams about snakes, and saw her come through the door. Through the door? Was it open, then? No, sir, it was shut and bolted. She just came through it as if it wasn't there. Then I called to his lordship, after she had been looking at him for full half a minute or so, for I couldn't speak at first. There's one more thing, or rather two. On her head was a little cap that looked as though it had been made from the skin of a bird, with a gold snake rising up in front, which snake was the first thing I caught sight of, as of course it would be, sir. 
Also the dress she wore was so thin that through it I could see her shape, and the sandals on her feet, which were fastened at the instep with studs of gold. I saw no feather cap or snake, said Ragnall. Then that's the oddest part of the whole business, I remarked. Go back to your room, both of you, and if you see anything more, call me. I want to think things over. They went in a bewildered sort of fashion, and I called Hans and spoke with him in a whisper, repeating to him the little that he had not understood of our talk, for as I have said, although he never spoke it, Hans knew a great deal of English. Now, Hans, I said to him, what is the use of you? You are no better than a fraud. You pretend to be the best watchdog in Africa, and yet a woman comes into this house under your nose and in the grey of the morning, and you do not see her. Where is your reputation, Hans? The old fellow grew almost speechless with indignation. Then he spluttered his answer. It is not a woman, boss, but a spook. Who am I that I should be expected to catch spooks as though they were thieves or rats? As it happens, I was wide awake half an hour before the dawn, and lay with my eyes fixed upon that door, which I bolted myself last night. It never opened, boss. Moreover, since this talk began, I have been to look at it. During the night a spider has made its web from doorpost to doorpost, and that web is unbroken. If you do not believe me, come and see for yourself. Yet they say the woman came through the doorway, and therefore through the spider's web. Oh, boss, what is the use of wasting thought upon the ways of spooks, which, like the wind, come and go as they will, especially in this haunted land, from which, as we have all agreed, we should do well to get away? I went and examined the door for myself for by now my sciatica, or whatever it may have been, was so much better that I could walk a little. What Hans said was true. There was the spider's web, with the spider sit in the middle. Also some of the threads of the web were fixed from post to post, so that it was impossible that the door could have been opened, or, if opened, that anyone could have passed through the doorway without breaking them. Therefore, unless the woman came through one of the little window-places, which was almost incredible as they were high above the ground, or dropped from the smoke-hole in the roof, or had been shut into the place when the door was closed the previous night, I could not see how she had arrived there. If any one of these incredible suppositions was correct, then how did she get out again with two men watching her? There were only two solutions to the problem, namely that the whole occurrence was hallucination, or that, in fact, Ragnall and Savage had seen something unnatural and uncanny. If the latter were correct, I only wished that I had shared the experience— as I have always longed to see a ghost. A real indisputable ghost would be a great support to our doubting minds, that is, if we knew its owner to be dead. But, this was another thought, if by any chance Lady Ragnall were still alive and a prisoner upon that mountain, what they had seen was no ghost, but a shadow or simulacrum of a living person projected consciously or unconsciously by that person for some unknown purpose. What could the purpose be? As it chanced, the answer was not difficult, and two of the words she was reported to have uttered gave a cue. Only a few hours ago, just before we turned in indeed, as I have said, we had been discussing matters. What I have not said is that in the end we arrived at the conclusion that our quest here was wild and useless, and that we should do well to try to escape from the place before we became involved in a war of extermination between two branches of an obscure tribe, one of which was quiet, 
and the other semi-savage. Indeed, although Ragnall still hung back a little, it had been arranged that I should try to purchase camels in exchange for guns, unless I could get them for nothing which might be less suspicious, and that we should attempt such an escape under cover of an expedition to kill the elephant Jana. Supposing such a vision to be possible, then might it not have come or been sent to deter us from this plan? It would seem so. Thus reflecting, I went to sleep, worn out with useless wonderment, and did not wake again till breakfast-time. That morning, when we were alone together, Ragnall said to me, "'I have been thinking over what happened, or seemed to happen, last night, and I am not at all a superstitious man, or one given to vain imaginings. But I am sure that Savage and I really did see and hear the spirit or the shadow of my wife. Her body it could not have been, as you will admit.' though how she could utter or seem to utter audible speech without one is more than I can tell. Also I am sure that she is captive upon yonder mountain, and came to call me to rescue her. Under these circumstances I feel that it is my duty, as well as my desire, to give up any idea of leaving the country, and try to find out the truth. "'And how will you do that?' I asked, seeing that no one will tell us anything. "'By going to see for myself.' It is impossible, Ragnall. I am too lame at present to walk half a mile, much less to climb precipices. I know, and that is one of the reasons why I did not suggest that you should accompany me. The other is that there is no object in all of us risking our lives. I wish to face the thing alone, but that good fellow Savage says that he will go where I go, leaving you and Hans here to make further attempts if we do not return. Our plan is to slip out of the town during the night— wearing white dresses like the kenda, of which I have bought some for tobacco, and make the best of our way up the slope by starlight that is very bright now. When dawn comes we will try to find the road through that precipice, or over it, and for the rest trust to Providence. Dismayed at this intelligence, I did all I could to dissuade him from such a mad venture, but quite without avail, for never did I know a more determined or more fearless man than Lord Ragnall. He had made up his mind, and there was an end of the matter. Afterwards I talked with Savage, pointing out to him all the perils involved in the attempt, but likewise without avail. He was more depressed than usual, apparently on the ground that, having seen the ghost of her ladyship, he was quite sure that he had not long to live. Still, he declared, that where his master went he would go, as he preferred to die with him rather than alone. So I was obliged to give in, and with a melancholy heart, to do what I could to help the simple preparations for this crazy undertaking, realizing all the while that the only real help must come from above, since in such a case man was powerless. I should add that after consultation, Ragnall gave up the idea of adopting a kender disguise, which was certain to be discovered, also of starting at night when the town was guarded. That very afternoon they went— going out of the town quite openly on the pretext of shooting partridges and a small buck on the lower slopes of the mountain, where both were numerous, as Harut had informed us we were quite at liberty to do. The farewell was somewhat sad, especially with Savage, who gave me a letter he had written for his old mother in England, requesting me to post it if ever again I came to a civilized land. I did my best to put a better spirit in him, but without avail. He only wrung my hand warmly— said that it was a pleasure to have known such a real gentleman as myself, and expressed a hope that I might get out of this hell and live to a green old age amongst Christians. 
then he wiped away a tear with the cuff of his coat touched his hat in the orthodox fashion and departed their outfit i should add was very simple some food in bags a flask of spirits two double-barrelled guns that would shoot either shot or ball a bull's-eye lantern matches and their pistols hans walked with them a little way and leaving them outside the town returned why do you look so gloomy hans i asked because boss he answered twiddling his hat i had grown to be fond of the white man bina who was always very kind to me and did not treat me like dirt as low-born whites are apt to do also he cooked well and now i shall have to do that work which i do not like what do you mean hans the man isn't dead is he no baas but soon he will be for the shadow of death is in his eyes then how about lord ragnall i saw no shadow in his eyes i think that he will live baas i tried to get some explanation of these dark sayings out of the hottentot but he would add nothing to his words all the following night i lay awake filled with heavy fears which deepened as the hours went on just before dawn we heard a knocking on our door and ragnall's voice whispering to us to open hans did so while i lit a candle of which we had a good supply as it burned up ragnall entered and from his face i saw at once that something terrible had happened he went to the jar where we kept our water and drank three pannikinfuls one after the other then without waiting to be asked he said savage is dead and paused a while as though some awful recollection overcame him listen he went on presently we worked up the hillside without firing although we saw plenty of partridges and one buck till just as twilight was closing in we came to the cliff face here we perceived a track that ran to the mouth of a narrow cave or tunnel in the lava rock of the precipice which looked quite unclimbable while we were wondering what to do eight or ten white-robed men appeared out of the shadows and seized us before we could make any resistance after talking together for a little they took away our guns and pistols with which some of them disappeared then their leader with many bows indicated that we were at liberty to proceed by pointing first to the mouth of the cave and next to the top of the precipice saying something like ingani which i believe means a little child does it not i nodded and he went on after this they all departed down the hill smiling in a fashion that disturbed me we stood for a while irresolute until it became dark i asked savage what he thought we had better do expecting that he would say return to the town to my surprise he answered go on of course my lord don't let these brutes say that we white men don't walk a step without our guns indeed in any case i mean to go on even if your lordship won't whilst he spoke he took a bull's-eye lantern from his food-bag which had not been interfered with by the kender and lit it i stared at him amazed for the man seemed to be animated by some tremendous purpose or rather it was though a force from without had got hold of his will and were pushing him to an unknown end indeed his next words showed that this was so for he exclaimed there is something drawing me into that cave my lord it may be death i think it is death but whatever it be go i must perhaps you would do well to stop outside till i have seen i stepped forward to catch hold of the man who i thought had gone mad as perhaps was the case before i could lay my hands on him he had run rapidly to the mouth of the cave of course i followed but when i reached its entrance the star of light thrown forward by the bull's-eye lantern 
showed me that he was already about eight yards down the tunnel. Then I heard a terrible hissing noise and a savage exclaiming, "'Oh, my God!' twice over. As he spoke, the lantern fell from his hand, but did not go out, because, as you know, it is made to burn in any position. I leapt forward and picked it from the ground, and while I was doing so became aware that Savage was running still further into the depths of the cave. I lifted the lantern above my head and looked. This is what I saw. About ten paces from me was Savage, with his arms outstretched and dancing—yes, dancing— first to the right and then to the left, with a kind of horrible grace, and to the tune of a hideous hissing music. I held the lantern higher, and perceived that beyond him, lifted eight or nine feet into the air, nearly to the roof of the tunnel, in fact, was the head of the hugest snake of which I had ever heard. It was as broad as the bottom of a wheelbarrow, were it cut off I think it would quite fill a large wheelbarrow, while the head upon which it was supported was quite as thick as my middle and the undulating body beneath it, which stretched far away into the darkness, was the size of an eighteen-gallon cask, and glittered green and grey, lined and splashed with silver and with gold. It hissed and swayed its great head to the right, holding savage with cold eyes that yet seemed to be on fire, whereon he danced to the right. It hissed again and swayed its head to the left, whereon he danced to the left. Then suddenly it reared its head right to the top of the cave, and so remained for a few seconds, whereon Savage stood still, bending a little forward, as though he were bowing to the reptile. Next instant, like a flash, it struck, for I saw its white fangs bury themselves in the back of Savage, who with a kind of sigh fell forward onto his face. Then there was a convulsion of those shining folds, followed by a sound as of bones being ground up in a steam-driven mortar. I staggered against the wall of the cave and shut my eyes for a moment, for I felt faint. When I opened them again it was to see something flat, misshapen, elongated like a reflection in a spoon, something that had been savage lying on the floor, and stretched over it the huge serpent studying me with its steely eyes. Then I ran, I am not ashamed to say, I ran out of that horrible hole and far into the night. Small blame to you, I said, adding, Hans, get me some square-face, neat, for I felt as queer as though I had been in that cave with its guardian. There is very little more to tell, went on Ragnall, after I had drunk the Hollands. I lost my way on the mountainside and wandered for many hours, until at last I blundered up against one of the outermost houses of the town, after which things were easy. Perhaps I should add that wherever I went on my way down the mountain, it seemed to me that I heard people laughing at me in an unnatural kind of voice. That's all. After this we sat silent for a long time, till at length Hans said in his unmoved tone, The light has come, Bas. Shall I blow out the candle, which it is a pity to waste? Also, does the Bas wish me to cook the breakfast, now that the snake-devil is making his off Bina, as I hope to make mine off him before all is done? Snakes are very good to eat, Bas, if you know how to dress them in the hot and tot way. End of chapter 15